What's up, Spellslingers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Flitton. And I'm Corey Janabigian. And this is Untap, Upkeep, Drink. Beer up. Welcome back, guys. Today, we are almost through with our <laughs> Brewers Week. This is episode four. Today, we're talking about upgrades. Ooh, ooh. As all the dudes at my work say, it's Thursday, so that means it's Little Friday. Looking forward to the weekend, and we've got a hell of a lot of beers today, <laughs> but we'll get there. I wouldn't say a hell of a lot, but more I mean, more it's than significantly more than normal, <laughs> considering that we all usually have one beer per episode. Upgrading to two... It's a lot. It's, it's a lot, especially since these are not normal sized beers for the most part. Corey, just I mean, he's got a, he's got the casual. So we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about upgrading pre cons. Absolutely, we've got an example, and we're talking about upgrading not so tasty beers. Okay, not we're necessarily quote unquote bad beers. But first, let's talk about the good beers that we have here. The beers <laughs> that we're stoked to be drinking. The beers that I mean, some of them are pretty local. Mine's as local as it gets. Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. Salt I've got City. the Salt Fire Charlotte Sometimes Summer Blonde Ale. It says Charlotte is the cool but not too cool blonde hanging out back at the Salt Fire Barbecue. Drinkable and approachable, Charlotte's subtle, well-balanced malt flavors taste like sunshine after the rain with just a touch of hops. Perfect for those in search of something smooth and delicate. Also says happy slash sad. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> I'm not sure what like. that <laughs> meter is for. So this one's sitting at 5.2% uh, ABV. And funny enough, this brewery does not list the IBUs, but they list the BUGU ratio, which, which we, we learned about. in the first two episodes yeah. is the bitterness units to the gravity, gravity units, which is the kind of bitterness versus the sugar, the sweet. Yep. And so what what is it? So so 0.5 is exactly in the middle. Anything above that tends to be more bitter and anything below that starts to be a little more sweet and this one is sitting at 0.45. So we're so just dipping into that yeah. sweetness here. Well, can you confirm or deny? Hmm. I can confirm. That is a <laughs> that is a delicious summer blonde. Um very fruity like a little citrus, but kind of underlying. It's very much like wheat forward. Okay. Uh, as we can tell by looking at it, it's pretty clear. Maybe a little hazy, but super, super light in color. Uh, I kind of, on the, on the nose here, it's a little bit funky. It smells kind of like spicy, like holiday spice. Yeah. Oh, that first sip, I did not get anything, but just like a little bit of sweetness. Yeah, it's, the wheat comes through Yep. really, really hard, and then it just mellows out into a little bit of sweetness. Oh, yeah, okay. There it is. So I had to clear my palate first here, but the wheat actually does come through after that. Because before, I, I was just getting like a little bit of sweetness and just kind of like, almost like a lagery flavor, but clearing my palate, getting rid of all of the random stuff I've been eating today. <laughs> it's nice. It's like, a, it is just a good summer yeah. blonde. I wouldn't really say there's anything... There's nothing like offensive or... Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. extraordinary about it. It's just a like... Kind good of classic, kind of basic, beer. but it is good. Yeah, refreshing. All right, so for mine, I've got the Roadhouse Brewing Company's. This is from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, so fairly local for us, Idahoans. Yeah. Uh, we got the Mountain Jam Volume Four, which is a hazy IPA. Ooh. So they got like a whole. I don't even know how to describe. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna read it. If dreams were thunder and lightning were desire, this liquid shapeshifter would light up the night sky like condescent I'm vitality. so in already. What? <laughs> it is blues. It is rock. It is folk and it is country. Its slinky lines eclipse the genres and the stereotypes. It is a sinuous movement of both dexterity and grace, and it will draw you in like the moon pulls the tide. Fuck me. <laughs> so there's like, not to, I don't want to sound condescending, but like, it is like the bluegrass not bluegrass like the hippie gathering just like group people together and like love and peace and all the shit Woodstock which, yeah exactly yeah. like I'm all down for it as long as your beer is good oh yeah if you're gonna write that on the back of your can you better back that up with some flavor flavor so flavor. straight off the nose <laughs> this is an IPA we got that hop central focus uh, it's citrusy fruity ooh but you don't really get too much of that bitterness on the palate that is ooh that's probably one of the best IPAs we've had 
It's smooth. It's oh, yeah. fruity. There's just a little bit of hoppiness to it. Uh, it's in at 6.2% ABV, and they don't list the IBUs, but I probably guess like an IPA. Yeah, I probably guess like 30 to 40, but I'd guess the BUGU to be pretty even, honestly, like 0.5 somewhere in there. Like yeah, it's, it's it nice. It smells incredibly like an IPA, but it does not taste like one. Which we seem to find a lot of the hazy IPAs. They just don't have that classic hoppiness. Yeah, they're a lot easier to drink. And this one, the citrus comes through really hard. Yeah, that one's an interesting beer. It's got a lot of citrus. It's got a lot of hop, but hop in almost like a piney kind of zone. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's not like the aggressive piney bitterness. It's just that that smell that you that, get. Like refreshing. Yeah, that tastes like the Northwest smells. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, Corey, you brought... So my buddy Stuart recommended this to me. It's Montucky. the Montucky Cold Snack. <laughs> So it's a lager. It's 4% ABV. It has zero IBUs. It is the official, unofficial beer of Montana. Oh, so we're getting just all sorts of local up in here for Idaho people. It smells like a lager. It smells super weedy. It's got, we kind of talked about this, I think on the dark episode, but some of those weird, funky flavors come through sometimes. Mm -hmm. With malts, and it sort of adds a fruity banana kind of flavor. It's the uh, esters Yeah, the malts. That's, that's kind of what I'm getting. I'm getting a little bit of funk. I was going to say, I taste that. It's very, very light. Yeah. It's very much like, uh, oh, I don't know, like a Coors or, <laughs> or a Corona or something. It is. But a and not funk. to like talk down generic lagers, you know, American lagers, but it's like that, but with some nice fruity sweetness to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's got just a little bit extra that you you're not going to get in an uber filtered American like standard Bud Light kind of thing. Yeah, it's weird that like I mean we have a hazy IPA right here that's like not filtered at all, and all the ads and stuff's like ultra premium filtered with you know six nanometer pores, and it's like, bro, just give me the raw goods. Yeah, just make a beer that. and let me drink it. Yeah. No, don't just make a beer. Like make a good beer that yeah. I can drink and enjoy. Don't like spend all the money to do all the bullshit to it if it's gonna make the beer taste just bland and generic as we get to our first topic here we're talking about beer of course it's brewers week day four we're talking about how to make a quote-unquote bad beer better so better is not in quotes we've got a (laughs) preface right bad beer maybe in quotes better not necessarily yeah i was gonna say maybe better should (laughs) be in quotes better yeah like better is your like up to you we wanted to make sure that we stated that there's really no such thing as a bad beer. Right. Like we're going to throw out the disclaimer, quote unquote, bad beers aren't bad beers. So bad beer is subjective. Absolutely. They're often just totally fine. They're not good to you. Right. But they're not, that doesn't make them bad. Right. And a lot of times what we're talking about, especially for guys like us who are on a podcast where we're reviewing a lot of quote unquote fancier beers, what we're talking about when we talk about bad beers isn't necessarily Poor tasting beers or things that we actively think is gross, but things that we're are generally bland or less flavorful right. than so their. The idea that I came up with when I was writing this episode was that the the beers aren't necessarily bad; they're not good to us, right? Instead, we'd rather have something with more flavor, better flavor, or just more interesting flavor, right? And so that kind of brings the idea of so what constitutes a bad beer, right? And so to to go off those ideas, we've got lack of flavor. Right, which to me, I feel that light beer is often guilty of this. Right, they just they just don't have enough. And I will say that Utah generics are one hundred percent guilty of this. Yeah, in order to make a light beer, you sort of have to cut on everything. A lot of what adds the flavor. And so we're talking about like generics, Coors Light, Miller Light, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and then the next one is if you want better flavor, then you probably have just kind of bad flavor. Right. So that's usually have like. For these beers, they usually have a strong flavor that's just not good to you. So the examples that I have is Bud anything. I do not like Bud. Uh, Keystone, Ice House. Uh, Corey and I went on a camping trip with some friends, and they brought along two cans of Milwaukee's Best. And we did everything that we possibly could to get rid of those, which was everyone avoided them until, like, the last moment possible. Like, we're not trying to talk down on beers. Right. Right? Like, we're... We're going to try and talk them up. Yeah, we're not in... A amazing craft boom of beers 
to not try awesome, crazy new beers. I, I, I'm not anyways. I'm not going to just go get a 30 rack of Coors and call it a day. I'm going to go get like six good beers and enjoy myself rather than just trying to get pissed drunk on shit <laughs> yeah. beer. Yeah, it's just whatever you want to do with your beer, it's up to you. Now, we have a third category here for quote-unquote bad beers, and that's the one-note wonders. Yeah, these are beers that are kind of boring, but otherwise unobtrusive, right? So the example we had on the camping trip that I'm talking about, uh, we had some Rolling Rocks, and we were sitting around the campfire and just like trying to describe what Rolling Rock is. And what we realized is that if you ever see like a college or like a house party in movies and it just has like beer, that's Rolling Rock. It, it is beer. And that's how you describe just it. It's generic beer. It's just beer, right? And it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just, it's just beer. So we've got like Rolling Rock. For us, we've got Olympia, PBR, Coronas. These are totally fine beers, but they're kind of one note. They don't really have a lot of complexity or just like these crazy flavor characteristics. They're totally fine, but they don't do anything bad. They just don't do anything great. Yeah, I think a lot of people might not see these as sessionable beers, but I think these are the most yeah, sessionable absolutely. beers of all time. Yeah, they're yeah. usually between like 4% to 5%. They're crushable. Yeah, they're just, if you just want to chill and drink one beer. So this kind of brings up, how do we improve bad beers? Corey? So the first category we have on this list is a simple social settings. If you're hanging out with your friends and not thinking about how generic your beer is, you're not going to taste the beer. You're going to enjoy the company that you're with. Right. It so this is sounds kind like, of- yeah, a cop out a little bit, but it's true. Like even when you're, pl- we're all magic players. The one time I've ever had PBR uh, and kind of enjoyed it and didn't go, God, this is awful is when we're playing magic. Somebody hands me a cold PBR. I'm like, well, I'm not drinking anything right now, so I should just... It's better than nothing. Yeah, exactly. It's better than not having anything to drink. So a lot of times you just focus on your company. So we have a joke uh, whenever we get a, a, a can of Olympia or like a 12-pack or 6-pack or whatever, which Olympia says, it's the water, which makes it better, right? Is that it's because of the water. And if you cover the word the, it's just, it's water, <laughs> which is... It was, it's, it's, a it's, it's a classic joke. It's so good. But it kind of shows what kind of beer it is it's you know easy drinking simple sipping and you just as long as you're doing something else it's it's great like you're not focusing on it so it's just a lot more palatable because it's just something nice to sip on well before we get into any more ways to improve beer guys we got some bad beers quote unquote bad beers we busted out the face we're gonna try and improve them (laughs) so right now i'm rocking just a classic coors light so let's do what we always do right We're, we're gonna try and critically assess these beers we all looked up all, all of our facts and stuff. So Coors Light clocks in at 4.2 ABV. And it's got 10 IBUs. Can what you do- describe a Coors? It's on the a, nose? It's a little rough on the nose. You get a lot of wheat notes from it. On the nose, it's actually kind of sweet. Yeah. And then as soon as you taste it, it's just incredibly sweet and palatable. And we've already sort of gotten in this, but there's not a lot going on. It's just sort of a generic beer flavor but that's not a bad thing yeah it it's like a little sweet it does have like the lager flavors kind of weedy but other than that there's not really like anything that's jumping at me like hey that's what this is the it's very quick on the palate it doesn't reside it it does yeah there's no residue it's just sweetness right at the beginning and then it just flows off it's beer (laughs) as you taste it it's really carbonated which i think is kind of weird they probably add carbonation i would assume to make it a little bit more like an American carbonated soda kind of thing. Uh, but man, it's just, it's light wheat flavored water. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it really is. Like I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know if we've talked about it on this podcast, but I didn't start drinking alcohol at all until I was 25. So I didn't do the, you know, high school party phase. I didn't do the yeah, me either. fucking butt chugging and all the, you know, <laughs> Wait, the, you shotgun out, beers bro. and stuff, you know? I mean, so, I've shotgun beers, but I have not. I've shotgun one beer, but like, you know, I didn't grow okay. up around like the Coors okay, Light. Shout out to the one time you yeah, shotgun a beer. Yeah, the one time you shotgun a beer. It was seconds flat. the most insane shotgun I've ever seen. Like the man can just inhale liquids. I can, I can certainly do it, but see, that's probably why I stepped away from it. I was like, I'm going to get fucked up. <laughs> but I mean, so I'm point. not used to like these really weak beers. I didn't grow up with those as my launching pad. Like the first real beers that I was drinking were with my brother, who is like we are. He likes real strong IPAs. He likes sours. He likes these interesting beers. And so going to these really light beers, there's literally nothing gross about it. It's sweet. It's wheat. It's water. But there's nothing to like about it to me at least with the at least with the course 
All right, so Gary, you're following our third idea here, which is one just one. add blank. Yeah, so maybe you're not in a social setting, or maybe the social setting isn't quite interesting enough to get your mind off of the bland taste. So this tends to be my favorite way to treat a beer you're not a fan of, mostly because I like flavorful beers. So if you have a beer that is one note or a beer that is less flavorful than you'd like, hop around and find some ideas of what you like in your beer. Obviously, lemon, lime, some yeah, citrus can really limes. make it pop, you know? Limes for Coronas, Blue Moons, and other kind of uh, wits or white beers uh, have these uh, like oranges and things, but really you just need to find what works for you. So this is interesting. My beer for this show, my bad beer for this show, is a Corona Premier. Yeah, we which, couldn't find the Corona Extra. Yeah. <laughs> it sits at 4% and 7 IBU. Now, going straight from the Coors to the Corona, sweeter. Yeah, so this is a cerveza, right? A Mexican yeah. lager. It's a, a little bit fruity, but not fruity like you would think of when you're talking about a, uh, you know, a fruity beer. It's just got like a little extra sweetness and a little extra wheat, maybe? It's got a little more punch of flavor. Yeah, so it definitely does have that kind of like elongated sweet note to it, but it's not overly sweet. It does have kind of like that weedy, malty, barley, whatever it is, and then it just kind of drops off and it's just not great. So one of my favorite ways to upgrade is with a lime. Yeah, I, I think like, that's like the classic thing. I like adding yeah. some flavors and the easiest citrus fruit that you can put in there is a, a whole cascade of lime. So we've got a few lime wedges here. Toss them in, and obviously with a Corona, everybody knows Corona goes well with lime. It's yeah. in the commercials. It's in the song. Tastes great. We're going to see uh, how this elevates. Yeah, a lot of cervezas in general just use lime just as an added kick. Yeah, see, so I'm a fan of sours, so that that little extra acidity really makes it pop. You lose a little bit of sweetness when you do that, but I think it adds flavor to it. And it adds a little bit of uh, summer crispness. Yeah, it kind of does what IPAs do when you have that like citrusy, acidic addition to it, which it kind of makes it more, kind of just adds that pop of flavor, that extra little bit. It's, again, it's adding more flavor so that you have something else to kind of like tease the palate as you go. Yeah, it adds some depth to it. And uh, I agree, Corona with some lime is way better than <laughs> yeah. just a plain ass Coors. <laughs> Honestly, I think this is probably the first time I've ever had Corona without limes. And the last one we've got here. Yeah, boy. Three greatest la- letters ever. Peeper? Blue Ribbon. <laughs> we got the Peeper. Award winning. So I'll be honest. This smells bad. Yep. It smells It smells like a wounded soldier. For those of you who know what that is. So a wounded soldier is when... You're having a party or something like that, and you leave the beer out overnight, and that smell that you get is just like old, stale beer. That's what it smells like, which is not a great thing on the nose. But honestly, coming straight from the Corona with lime, this tastes like a more kind of malty, weedy version of the course. There's not that much sweetness to it. It's mostly just the malt that you taste, and it's kind of lingering. Yeah, I think in conjunction with the idea of the smell, it's just the fact that it has that smell just means that it has more flavor depth to it. And it has it does have some maltiness and a lot of that sweetness. Jesus, these beers are fucking carbonated. Though. I was just going to say, because yeah. like, I'm just the like Corona's not quite as carbonated, but the Coors and the PBR, it it literally swallows like a soda almost. Yeah. yeah I, honestly, it's weird because like, I've just been drinking craft beers for too long because I do not like carbonation at all and it is the one thing about beers that turns me off about them that's why I always love nitros but having just a couple gulps of that is just it's a lot yeah it really is it's I love so peepers I was gonna say impressive. I think shout out to all, PBR easy all three of these beers state a good point and that's that they are extremely unobtrusive they're easy to drink they're not super flavorful so you're you're not really looking for complexity or Anything spectacular, but the way that people drink these tends to be more quantity and less quality. And so I think that's where these beers really shine because they really take on sippability. You know what I mean? They're just easy to just tank them. 
Yeah. And so I decided I was going to go with an abomination with this peeber. <laughs> it hurts me to look at it. Corey does like his just classic peevers. So not only are we going to throw in some limes, I wanted cucumber. Corey throwing a garnish for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> I Honestly, it sounds good. I'm, it smells good. It. it smells like the Corona tastes, but with like a really nice, fresh cucumber vibe to it, which I hope. When adding cucumber and limes, that's what you're going to get. I think it can only help. Honestly, that's not bad. It is it is fresh. It is crisp. It is refreshing. That's Dude, this carbonation is really out of control for me. <laughs> I can't even talk. Oh, okay. Okay. So we found a way to make a PBR a just delightful little treat. That's like an 8 out of 10. That's really good. It, it legitimately... This is something that you should probably most people are gonna frown upon you for doing, but that it's is like a cucumbers. Solid I mean, there's way nothing to spice up a peeper. What the hell? Woo! Yeah, that is actually really good. I think maybe lemons instead of lime because it it feels a little sweeter. Le- limes have a little bit more like a bitter kind of no, undertone. No, I'm staying to with the lime. But the the cucumber, the cucumber really does oh, just yeah. like it adds Makes this it. nice refreshing vibe to it. So we do want to make sure that. Whatever you're doing to spice up your beers, however you're trying to improve these quote-unquote bad beers, that you're safe, you're responsible, right? The idea of beer before liquor, you'll never be sicker. Liquor before beer, you're in the clear. This is a myth, right? Don't stand by that myth. What matters more is actually the alcohol content of your drinks and the time frame in which you consume it, right? That's so important. Please do not mix alcohol irresponsibly. People talk about like ear bombs and things like that. The idea behind those drinks is to drink as much as you can as fast as possible without throwing up, I think. So we've upgraded these quote-unquote bad beers. We've elevated them to a more palatable level. We've got a social setting. We've added a few things here and there. Uh, What do we add to a pre-con to make that palatable? How do you do that? Do Lance. Do Lance. (laughs) (laughs) Corey's just going to be the chanter here. Uh, So... We got a lot of ways here that we're talking about upgrading pre-cons, but we're just going to kind of keep it as simple as we can. I think it's obvious that it's a case-by-case basis. Yeah, 100%. So when you've got a pre-con, they make the deck to be general, to have like a lot of stuff going on. Uh, They overfill on lands, things like that. So when you get a pre-con, there's usually three commanders that the deck can have, right, that match the colors of the deck. And then there's one off color, or maybe two, depending on what year it was so first and foremost you got to pick your commander a lot of times the box commander is the one that you want to do yeah they do build and and more recently they've become a little more focused in the way they build but sometimes it's not just that you want the deck out of the box to be the best it can be sometimes you just want to go in a different direction yeah and so you choose the commander that you want to go with you find the synergies and the play style you like and you and you build from there yeah, so first, pick your commander. Second, pick your playstyle. The third is take out the cards that don't fit your playstyle, right? So curses. often, this is like the curses or whatever. <laughs> yeah, the weird like, cycles that yeah, aren't that nobody wants they're to play. Just, they're just not good unless you have a deck built around it, and then it's mediocre at best. Um, and then, of course, if you've already picked your commander, the other ones probably don't fit the theme and the playstyle that you're building around, so they got to go too. Yeah, it's hard sometimes, especially when you have brand new cards and you just want to try out all these new commanders in one deck. But if you're trying to focus a deck up, you just have to cut the cards that are just a completely different strategy from what you're trying to do. Yeah, I think a good way to look at it is to buy your pre-cons as either one or the other or let me tell you, (laughs) either one or the other or an evolution of both of... A deck that you just play out of the box with friends, with pre-cons, that just is the way it is, and it's fun because it's new. Or, as a way to save money to get a sort of half-baked idea for a little bit cheaper, and a little bit more, like, with the spark of the idea already there. So someone kind of giving you the basics of a deck. And you can do both. We kind of all do this. We find a a pre-con and we go okay i'm gonna play this pre-con because it looks fun but in the back of our mind we know i'm gonna upgrade this eventually yeah. this is gonna be one way or the other i'm gonna take it to a certain 
level above this. And we know that that means that eventually we're going to have to run the course of saying this is no longer a precon. I have to cut some of these cards, even though I just bought them, and I'm going to replace them with something better to make this deck better. And maybe I can use those cards later, maybe not. But that's what I'm doing with this deck. Yeah. Precons are always going to be more bang for your buck just yeah. because the cards that they print, the reprints, etc., is going to be more than $35, $40, whatever the precon at MSRP cost. Yeah. You're always going to get your value and it's always just a good jumping on point and just building up point. So are we are we going to call this the most important thing for our precons? Is that what, we, what we're going to do here? Yes, absolutely. I, I think so. Yeah. Add card draw and add ramp. Almost always. I think... At this point, everybody will tell you that these are the two most important things to just make your deck work just exponentially better across the board. No matter if you put one or two awesome $100 cards in your deck, if you can never draw the cards or never play the cards, then it doesn't matter that they're in the deck. Yeah, so when you're adding ramp and card drop, it's kind of rough because especially, you know, our own list of things to, you know, put in a commander deck, it's hard to just put these cards in. You want ones that are hopefully synergistic with your deck, and that's just unfortunately not always possible. So sometimes you kind of just have to bite the bullet and put these cards in. Yeah, I think a good example is in my Marin deck, Sakura Tribelder is already just a really good ramp card, but the fact that he sacrifices himself, which is what Marin wants him to do, just adds another level because he's helping out ramping and getting experience counter. So he's helping the deck synergize. We want to add in cards that fit our playstyle, and that sort of means the playstyle of the deck, but it also means how you feel comfortable and how Your you personal enjoy playstyle. playing the game. Yeah, if I'm an enchantment player and I want to play, you know, I don't like a graveyard synergies deck, then I probably want to throw in enchantments to do that. Yes. However, we always need to remember the cardinal rule. You have to remember your curve. I fell into the trap of this with my first precon that I upgraded. You go, oh, it was uh, it was Edgar Markov, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. Uh, the first <laughs> things that I wanted to do was, holy shit, I'm in Mardu. I got vampires. I'm going to add in the biggest, nastiest cards, and I'm going to whoop some ass. And the truth and said it is, exactly like that. I probably did probably did and the truth is that you put those into a deck that's already not quite up to speed i think the average cmc on that deck is like 4.68 well and especially in a a meta that's already way tuned away from a a precon you will never cast those cards ever and if you do (laughs) you've already lost the game because you tried real hard to get to those cards so yes you want to fit your play style you want to fit your preferences and what your deck is doing but you also always mind the curve yeah yeah, it doesn't matter how many cool cards you have if you can't play them until turn six, which means you might not actually be able to play them. Yeah, and I think a lot of us agree that, especially when making and upgrading decks, just cutting cards is incredibly difficult sometimes. So hard, especially like especially with precons, I think, because a lot of people do look at it as these hundred cards, I just bought them, it's my baby, it's my deck. So if you look at it like that, it's going to be very hard to upgrade it because you have to cut cards. Yeah, my strategy recently has been to make categories in the categories that you know card drop ramp removal etc and then if i'm upgrading a precon specifically then i have 100 cards if i am going to put a card in i have to look at the precon and take one of those out that matches thing or that you know i'm getting to 10 card draw or 10 ramp or something like that and then i make sure that if i'm putting a card in i'm taking one out and i'm always at 100 because it's the only way i can stay at 100 because otherwise like i have 130 cards fuck i have to make 30 cuts i know cut all lands. lands. <laughs> yeah, don't cut your lands. Five lands. So I think we've already said three. these past three things are the most important thing, but I think this next one is equally as important. Yeah, so I think that precons are just insanely guilty of this. Like, I don't yeah. know why Wizards just keeps on doing this. I think that you have one card that matches this in any given deck if you have that one card. It's not always there. So I was just like, synergy, yeah, tribal synergy, that'll totally make you win the game. But yeah, so what we're talking about is you need to have a way to win the game. Right. And I think... And hopefully not just one way. Yeah. One card. The, I think the easiest thing you get, think of is like, oh, just put an infinite combo in there. It's like, okay. But an infinite combo, most infinite combos aren't going to actually win the game themselves. Yeah. Just having one combo in your deck doesn't guarantee that you're ever going to get 
all the combo pieces and play it. So I think trying to build a deck without ways to win is just a waste of your time and everybody that you're playing with. Yeah. And I understand I make a lot of combat-focused decks, and so His some, way to sometimes win the way just, to win is just attack as much as yeah. possible. And that's a totally viable way to win. But if you're looking at, like, oh, I'm making a creature deck, it's just like, okay, do you have haste enablers, ways to give your creatures evasion, trample, any of those things? Like, those are the enablers to your win con. Your win con is big, stompy creatures. That's totally fine unless they don't have ways to actually push through damage. Otherwise, they're just chumpable creatures that your opponents don't care about. Yeah, and I actually suffered from this problem in one of the iterations of my Marin deck, if we want to go back to that. And I could clear people's hands and clear people's boards just fine. I could blow up everything they ever had, but I couldn't finish a game reasonably. I'd be swinging with Marin or occasionally an Emrakul, and then... If that I creature would, was gone, then that was it. Sounds spooky. Yeah. If you can't kill everybody, you're still not going to win. Exactly. And so I had to upgrade my ways to win because just having a board stall isn't making me win. It's giving my opponents time to kill me. Answers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that one of the decks that's kind of like easy to look at is the Zedru deck because the, like, the biggest win con that we could find in the deck was Insurrection. But... That only is a win con if your opponents have creatures that you yeah. can steal and attack right. with. Otherwise, it's like, how do you win with that deck? Or the uh, Beast deck, right? Like, that deck has a lot of big, stompy creatures, but a lot of them don't actually have any evasion or trample. Like, if you have one thing that gives them trample, that's great. But if otherwise they don't have trample, they're just a big, dumb creature that doesn't do anything. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. you just have to be able to close to be able to win games. Yeah, and I think we're not trying to steer people to say, just throw in cards that say you win the game or just throw in co- infinite combos in yeah we're not deck. talking about like going infinite we're to- not talking about like alternate win combos, yeah we're like just that. saying that you need to build you synergies and strategies yeah. into your deck that overall help you win the game at every moment or mm-hmm. they're pushing you in that direction yeah and you could have like a a deck like a storm deck right where the storm cards are technically your win con yeah but every card like cantrips or otherwise that allow you to storm off are the cards that are actually making you win the game right just so your entire you have a tendrils of agony does not mean you're going to cast 20 spells yeah exactly <laughs> right so like it's like i think eight or nine in in modern something like that because the fetch line and stuff like that is where you actually need to get to for tendrils to be lethal and it's like okay you have to be able to get to eight or nine cast tendrils and like have all of that resolve and so okay technically you only need tendrils to resolve but like you get the point that you have to have all of that going into it before your deck even matters. Yep. And so a lot of the stuff we're talking about is commander specifically, but when we're talking about precons, like I think I guess most technically precons can be the dual decks and stuff. Oh, like absolutely. That too. But you do need a way to win, and I feel like control decks often have like the obvious. This is my win con. The rest of it is helping me survive. Yeah. Just I think whatever your win con is is extremely dependent on your strategy all right so if we're talking about pre-cons here let's kind of stick to the commander theme here uh if you've changed your deck you've thrown in a win con you probably are going to have to adjust your land base to fit your new deck you're probably have changed i mean the deck that we're going to talk about has changed vastly in its mana base requirements from what it used to be yeah in the latest commander set they've actually done a lot better when it comes to the land base i think significantly better i think the the color fixing and lands that they're putting in hasn't we haven't seen this since the 2016 commander decks and i think one of the reasons that people see those commander decks as the best is there were four colors and they had to support the mana that. base was just so well built and you always got your colors almost every game yeah which for four colors in a pre-con is it's really surprisingly hard. good and like especially since a lot of the lands they put in are tap lands but you're consistently able to get the colors you need when you need it. And that's honestly something that is very difficult to build on your own, let alone to have, you know, corporate make the fucking deck so that you can play it regularly. Yeah. And so obviously what we're talking about is upgrading your mana base. Yeah. And just like with the win cons, it's like, oh, just throw in an infinite combo. People could say, just throw in dual lands or just throw in all your shocks and fetches. And that is obviously one way to immediately upgrade your deck a thousand times over oh yeah yeah so but it's that, just really hard yeah it is it really is so i like to put in the slow fetches just because 
they're inexpensive and they're going to do the job. But we've got like Evolving Wilds and Terramorphic Expanse. But I also like to do the other slow fetches like Mountain Valley, which yeah. allows you to search for a basic land type. So it allows you, like Mountain Valley, lets you search for a forest or a mountain. And that allows me to get things like shock lands. And I can replace a tap land one for one with one of these slow fetches. And they're like a dollar. So it's still like an inexpensive way to do it while still getting like a five, six dollar shock land, which is actually the land that I need. Yeah. Wizards, especially lately, has done a lot better at uh printing these really good dual color lands so we had like the bicycle lands of Amonkhet, which were which had the the land type on them and had yeah, cycling the, from battle for zendikar you've got the battle lands yeah and then there's like the the check lands so you have your true true dual lands which are of course the og duels you've got shock lands You've got Battle Lands from BFC, which are the ally colors. You've got Bicycle Lands from Amonkhet. And then you have the ones that are not technically duels because yeah. they don't have a basic land type. But you've got Pain Lands, Scry Lands, Check Lands, which check for basic land types, um, which also includes the Tainted Land Cycle, which search for which, which check for uh, Swamp. Yeah. Uh, you've got the Bond Lands from Battle Bond. It's, that one's great for really Commander, good. but they've so also good. gone up in price. Uh, you have the Man Lands, which turn into Creatures. Fast lands, which as long as you have zero or uh, between zero and two lands, they come in untapped. Yeah. Uh, you've got reveal lands, which you play and yep. they come in yep. untapped if you can reveal a land that uh, has a basic land type of their Similar. color. Yeah. Uh, the filter lands, of course, bounce lands, tap lands, which are all over the place. These are all ways that you can change your mana base to fit your things. And you're trying to avoid playing these tap lands. So you have all of those other dual lands of the type, but there's ways to make it so that you can get your colors on curve, on time, and have them untapped. Yeah, most of these lands are $5 or less. And how I like to look at them is like a tap land is 100% of the time going to come in tapped, while these lands have even just a chance to come in untapped. So they're already infinitely better than just a regular old tap land. So the next thing, Gary, and I think is where your brother Sean is at with a lot of his decks. He knows what he wants his <laughs> decks to do. He's got his decks. He doesn't really want to make new decks unless you just pull some sick card and then he sells it at the shop when I really need that card. Sean, why did you sell Kaikar? Uh, but that's to bling out your deck. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think yeah. part of it is because he's got really fun, good decks, and so he's kind of at that point where it's they, they like... They fit his playstyle so well and he's like played them for so long. Yeah, that he's, he's just like, like, do I build I'm gonna another keep, deck yeah, exactly. or should I just make these really cool? He's also, you know, he's got a good job. Yeah, and he, and he, likes, he likes the decks that he plays and he knows that the cards that he's going to bling out are going to be awesome, right? So when I'm when I say bling out, what I mean is foils, right? That's the shiny, that's the bling. Uh, foils, uh, we've got cool. just the better lands, which yeah, it's part of adjusting your land base. But sometimes adjusting your land base is to put in the right colors. It's a little bit of swag, too. Yeah. yeah. But to have like good you know, shock lands or like for me, it's scry lands because I love the art on the, the scry the lands. Temples. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so Sean actually he ordered one from the Commander Cookout guys. Shouts out. And he asked for the, the Grey Merchant of Asphodel, or Scary Gary, as we like to call him. I, I just call him Gary. And he's it's so it good. so good. Those it's, lines are so yeah, clean. Yeah, so what they've done is that they've taken a Grey Merchant of Asphodel, or Gary, or Scary Gary, whatever you want to call him, and they've turned it into a full art, uh, non-bordered Yeah, art. it's basically like if you've seen any of the box toppers for the master sets or the promos, I think the Planeswalkers had them. Yeah. They've got like the Mythic Edition Planeswalkers yeah. or um, or the Unstable Tokens. They go all the way to the edge of the card rather than having that modern border around them. Yeah, and so that's what they they took. And they just basically got rid of making it look like a magic card. Yeah. Except keeping the name and the text box and just expanding it to take up the whole card. I think it's, it's beautiful. extra swagalicious when you get it commissioned like Sean did. He actually had Commander Cookout. He had Brando literally he sent him a card brando painted the art the like border out so this is news to me i didn't know that he oh yeah throw that. Awesome. it is good job brando and so sick yeah so oh my I, God. I honestly saw it as i was uh actually on the way to hang out with Corey, and it was just like wait is this yours this is awesome he's just like no that's sean so i was just like this is awesome. He looks he's like, I know, Dude, I know. Every time they post their altars on Facebook, because he does an auction each week of, of some of the altars that he's done, I'm just like, man, I want them all. <laughs> They're so, so yeah. cool. Altars are sick. The thing to note, though, is that if you're playing in a tournament, which, Commander, you probably aren't going to, but they're not tournament legal. All right, so the next thing is something that we're going to talk about more in the future, but for now, we'll kind of just 
just hit it a little bit. You've got to adjust to your meta. So adjusting your deck to a better play style, to a more fun play style, to your specific play style, your commander, your colors, that's all fine and well. Adjusting it to a synergistic spot, that's also really great. But, but if you're making a ridiculously overpowered deck, the people in your meta are not going to have fun. If you're making the super cool beast deck, everything's a six drop, whatever, you're probably going to lose the game because everyone else in your meta is probably going to play, you know, like three drops Better, and just faster removal. be able to play yeah. the game. If you know that you play in a faster meta and you know that there's a lot of threats, you might have to kill one of your big dudes to add some targeted removal. You have to have answers. If your meta is heavy on the threats, you have to be heavy on the answers. Um, and the last thing we have on this list of ways to upgrade a precon is to add new cards from the new sets and cut some old ones. So I think, especially in the last few set reviews that we've done, we've sort of been keeping or having a section on cards that we think would be upgrades for our current decks. So just like, hey, this card's cool for Sean's deck. Or like, this is a goblin, I'll probably throw it in my goblin deck. Stuff like that. And so I think just this idea of you're always paying attention to new cards, just keeping up to date. The cards that you have, to me, I, the most important saying when it comes to like cutting cards and making adjustments to deck is kill your darlings. Yep. Like There are certain cards that you absolutely love and you put in every single deck that's probably one of the first cards you're going to need to cut because you have this confirmation bias, uh, this fallacy that this is one of the best cards or, you know, you uh, have confirmation bias in that you've seen it do work, right? Like I've got insurrection in one of my decks. I want a game with this card. Yeah, so exactly. And, and you have to be able to look at cards rationally rather than being like, this card won me the game. I'm not cutting it versus just like, how often is that card actually going to do work in the deck? How often are you going to be able to play that card in a situation that wins you the game versus how often you can play that card and it's going to have any effect or how often you can play that card and it's just going to be average. Like it's, we talked about Quadrant 3 before yeah. and you really have to evaluate cards and be like, okay, is this good early game? Is it good, you know, when you're tied with everyone? Is it good late game? Is it good late game when you're behind? All right. So we've been talking, I think, a little too much on this topic because what we really want to get to is Garion's deck. So we're going to do a deck tech for all of these episodes. Obviously, we've already done... Three of them thus far. Let's get to number four. We're talking about Edgar Markov, the precon. The precon that everyone bought. <laughs> I mean, Just it for one very popular. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is up to like 60 bucks right now. It's, it's insane. A lot. Uh, Gary, tell me about it. First of all, I should have bought 12 of them. First off, we all bought yeah. them at $30. Uh, yeah. so I bought the cat deck. You bought it for 30 bucks? I bought it for 30 fucking dollars. Holy yeah. crap. Okay, so first off, let's talk about like mana base, ramp, card drop. Were those so, things that you were were targeting first off just to, to fix it up because you knew it was pre-con. You knew that it's going to have issues. It's three colors. Did they do a good job? I was going to say, in some ways, this is a good deck for a comparison of this topic. And in some ways, it's not because C-17 was actually a pretty good year. There were decent synergies in these decks, especially this one because it was so heavily tribal. However, it's a very fine example of, oh, you went tribal, so everything's going to be good, right? Maybe. Not the case. So the mana base was okay. It was spread well, uh, but it was extremely slow. There were a lot of tap lands, like just tap lands, and there were a lot of bounce lands, which are cool, but they're just so fucking slow. I think that those cards, though, are necessary for Watsy to print these decks. Yeah, Because for sure. it balances the mana base and allows you to actually look at it. So but they were one of the first things that I looked at and went... That's got to go. Yeah. So Because if, this deck wants to be fast. Right. So that's that's how you went with it. But right. So if you go to deckstats.net, we have our untap upkeep drink page. And on that, we've got the the decks that we've reviewed so far. And we have Garion's Markov deck. And in that, you're going to find four decks. We've got Garion's uh, C-17 Markov Cuts, the Markov Editions, uh, Garion's Markov deck, the deck that it is now. Uh, it was updated last in September. So this is... Maybe a little out of date, but it's what we're running with right now. Um, and then the C-17 Markov Vampires, which is the original deck list. So when we're looking at the original deck list, it's 66% black with a 38% mana source for black. So there is kind of a discrepancy there. But you really, when you're looking at like a three-color deck like this, you don't want to go below about 25% for your off colors. So for this, it's white and red. And so I think that even though they have 
what is it, like 18%, 16% somewhere in there uh, for your actual like red and white, you want to stay above 25% chance. So that way you actually get those lands that you have. And so that's where the tap lands and the bounce lands come in. So we've talked about a couple things when upgrading pre-cons that you run into that I think were exactly where I was at when I started. Of course, you play it right out of the box because why not? You're going to see what it because they're fun. How it runs bad. <laughs> um, this particular deck had the run of commanders that had eminence, and so it was a unique. And so this happens to be the one that is the most broken. Right. It it was a unique deck building experience because where a lot of these commander decks you build heavily around your commander, but also work in some ways to protect your commander. This deck did not have that problem at all. Imagine that. You, build, you never have to play your commander. Yeah. It's always protected. You build heavy around that commander, and you don't give a shit where he's at, because he could <laughs> die, you could never cast him, and things are pretty much going to run smoothly. However, what this deck does is creates an extra vampire. That's really the big thing you're doing, is every time you cast a vampire, you get a vampire token. Will you please read Edgar Markov? Oh, Eddie. I will. G. So Edgar Markov reads three white, red, black. So three in Mardu for a 4-4 legendary creature vampire knight. Whenever you cast another vampire spell, if Edgar Markov is in the command zone or on the battlefield, create a 1-1 black vampire creature token. He has first strike and haste, and whenever Edgar Markov attacks, you put a plus one, plus one counter on each vampire you control. That's a lot. That's a lot of stuff there. But so really, if he was like five mana and didn't have the eminence ability, he would be good. He'd be super good. And he instead has one extra mana and instead has an eminence ability that is arguably just stupid good. Super Especially fun. in those colors. What this allows you to do is lower your CMC and you're playing some less potent vampires, but you're doubling their potency. Not necessarily doubling, but giving them a 50% boost. You're you're tagging on a buddy with every vampire that you play. So where I went with this was I want this deck to be fast, I want it to be efficient, and I want it to be aristocrats, which is a theme where we're sacrificing our creatures, and lo and behold, every creature that I create has a buddy that can be sacrificed. So that's kind of how I leaned. So you cut 27 cards, added 27 cards. What are the highlights? So... I made a list here of five of kind of my all-stars, the standouts, additions that I really either wanted to add or knew would be good to add. To be fair, I did limit you to only five. True. I probably could have listed several more. 27. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine this. He has Demonic Tutor. He put Demonic Tutor in the deck. That's one of the top cards of the deck. Surprise. It's not in my main cards that I added. (laughs) That wasn't the top five. It should be, but it's not. My first one, Exsanguinate. This was one of the cards that I was pretty excited to add um, simply because it scales with the game and it's a way, like we were talking about, to win. It's a way to close. A lot of times you're draining, you're doing some of these sacrifice themes, you're getting some of that damage into your opponents, but you're not able to do the full amount and take everybody out at once. So Exsanguinate reads, X black black for a sorcery. Each opponent loses X life you gain life equal to the life lost this way. So, notably, this is a combo with Sanguine Bond, which is three black-black for an enchantment. Whenever you gain life, target opponent loses that much life. So, Exsanguinate so, is a really good way to close the game. You can deal a lot of damage late game, but it's also just a really good way to create a huge disparity. Yeah, and, and so the combo with Sanguine Bond basically just means that you gain twice that much life and they lose that twice twice that much life so one of the only cards that i left in there that's actually a pretty hefty mana cost is another way to combo with sanguine bond it's blood tribute so it's a sorcery for four black black and it says kicker tap an untapped vampire creature you control i'm making a lot of yeah, random untapped vampires. <laughs> uh, target opponent loses half his or her life rounded up if blood tribute was kicked, you gain life equal to life lost this way. So Sanguine Bond, every time you gain life, target opponent loses that much life. This is also an insta-kill combo. I've been insta-killed by this I don't know how many times. Tis fun, but it is not an instant win. Just remember. Right. So in, but, yeah, so instant kills are not instant wins. Right. Which we talked about on our alternate win con episode with Michael. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, 
Here it is. Um, sorry. I just want, before we keep going with your deck, we never actually talked about our beers again. Ooh, let's get into some beers. Uh, the Corona? It's okay. Corona <laughs> on its own, totally fine. It, 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 Good. It, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's okay. Uh, Corona with lime, pretty solid. Uh, a little better, yeah. Bang. Honestly, I, I like Corona with lime. Same. I think that it's, it's a nice summer beer. It's refreshing. But like, it's, Corona on its own is, is pretty crisp. Add that lime, you get that refreshing, yeah. that Christmas. I, I love Corona with lime in the summer. Corey? I was, I was the old Coors. Coors? It's okay. The thing is, is that I feel like a lot of our listeners right now are like, these guys didn't actually drink those fucking beers. Unfortunately, but we did. We, but we actually did. And we, yeah. we got tall boys. Say, <laughs> yeah. You can see in the Because we didn't want to buy six packs. <laughs> yeah, four <laughs> fucking ounces of Corona. Yeah. But yeah, I think... You haven't quite finished yet. He's got like six ounces. I, I finished my Peeber, but like... I'll let Corey talk about the, the Coors here and the gener- generics. Yeah, I don't know. Just in college, all we drank was Coors Light, Natty Light, Bud Light, just all of that shit beer. And so I'm used to it. Like, I don't hate it. It's I I can drink a hundred of them. I don't care. Honestly, I think I only drank Peebers in college and, unless I was hanging out with you guys. And then it was just whatever you guys had. Yeah. So let's move on to the good beers. I'm not done talking about my PBR. On its own, it PBR. was totally fine. It was a lager. Had like, honestly, it was it was kind of interesting going between the three beers. It was. Yeah. Right? Because like, everyone the, thinks, ah, yeah, it's Coors, shit you had the, yeah, the, the shit Coors Light and Affirms had like. my bias against Coors Light. Not yeah, good. Though <laughs> it's just like light sweetness, light lager kind yeah, of multi taste, and that was it. And then you have the Corona, which had more sweetness. Again, kind of that like malty stuff. But it, yeah, it, but then it but then it stops, right? Yeah. And then you get the PBR, which had virtually which no had, sweetness to it, but had malty goodness. It had yeah, exactly. And just the fact that we have these, you know, three quote unquote bad beers here that all have their own flavor profiles, and it's not just every generic beer is just going to be the same thing. All right, so let's talk about the craft beers. Let's get to the stuff that we really want to talk about. All right, craft Salt Lake beer. City, Utah. I'm a little, personally, slightly underwhelmed. The Salt Fire Brewing Company, Charlotte Sometimes, to me, the truth is that this Charlotte Sometimes is very close to these watered-down Easy drinking lagers. I will say it is sessionable. It's crisp and refreshing. Yeah, I was going to say, it has this more crisp and uh, sharp flavors than what a lager does. Like, the the notes that it has is, like, to a a point. Whereas a lager is just kind of even, I want to say. Whereas this is, like, there's just a tiny hint of sweetness. And then, like, boom, here's your malts. And then after that peak, it just kind of slowly fades away. Yeah, it's incredibly smooth. But I think... There's not like that punch that you really want. It has a little more fruit sweet forward than the rest of these. Especially on the nose. Like quote the nose unquote. does have this like oh, yeah, really yeah. nice like yeah, floral it, it fruitiness. That, that kind of funk to it. Yeah. A little bit of funk. Maybe those esters we learned about that are a little banana maybe. Yeah. Just a the, little bit. But very subtle. And I think even this beer needs a little bling to it to be, to me, super palatable. Okay. Talking about upgrading beers and stuff. What would you add to this beer? To me, I think it would be really good. Obviously, with a little citrus, wakes every beer up. But I think something a little bit, and I like sweet drinks, so like a dash of apple juice. Something with just like a little bit of sweet and a little bit of fruit to give it like the illusion of having more complex flavor. See, to me, I want to go and go into that funky realm, but I want to add like some spice, like Indian spice or like some coriander or something like that. And I think that that would really just like... Punch that to some the next cardamom. Level. Yeah, I yeah, think exactly. yeah. some cardamom pods that you like. Oh, yeah. you, know, you toast some cardamom pods and you put that in. I think that, that would, would be, be yeah, really good. I think that would be awesome. That, like, I was being serious when I said a social aspect, but I'm not just saying like hanging out with your friends. I'm just like, if you had like a barbecue and you were just cooking up some dope food, like, and you're just sitting out outside just enjoying oh, I think this summer, is a great like outside summer beer this, this is, would be like it really is such a go-to beer it's not like yeah, distracting or yeah it's just imposing so on anything. easy to drink I'm not trying to bag on this beer I think it's good I just think it could be more yeah absolutely I, I like the Montucky lager Montucky <laughs> it's, just, it's a lot of fun to say but I think <laughs> wait this where, one Montucky is from where Montana oh so lucky Montana baby yeah I was thinking that was a, a Kentucky beer 
that just was like you know a mountain Kentucky beer or something like no, that. No, it's the Montana official unofficial beer of Montana. Don't give me the bullshit. What is that? <laughs> yours the is greatest kinda... beer that's ever come out of Montana. I was it's gonna say yours cool is kind of really similar in this realm where it's kind of it's a wheat beer with some. It's just your like a standard plain lager, but I think that like just having like a nice juicy burger with that, I think it'll be I mean, go down I so well. So the last one we have here is the Roadhouse Brewery from Jackson Hole. Which we all know and love. Uh, it is the Mountain Jam Volume Four. What happened to one through three? Why didn't is I get to taste a, those? Is it like a seasonal beer? Or yeah, like it is. Yearly thing. It it is, but it's a hazy IPA, and I didn't read this before, and I completely messed up by not doing so. So it is a hazy IPA with strawberry and kiwi. Pairs well with Thai food and a thing called love. Oh shit! Son. It's a song for those of you who don't know. Uh, notes. Slick, funky, witty, and smooth. I agree with that. Okay. I mean, I didn't get any with. of the strawberry, strawberry or kiwi. No. I, I got, was going to say, I, I didn't get the citrusy. music. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, just, play us that song. I no love. disagree yeah. with the music choice, but. I just love that they have this, like, poem of sorts on it. Like, yeah. Sometimes we get some cans or bottles in that, that you I, can't help but read what the label says because it's too good. And that that's one of those labels. You, has, you almost have to buy the beer when you read it. It has just it has flavor on the outside and the inside. Very much an IPA on the nose, like we said before. Yeah, but it, it's uh, there's so much more hops in the nose than in the mouth. Yeah, this is to me this is the beer of the show, hands down. For sure, and I'm going to say this, and people are going to go crazy because we just called it the beer of the show. It's a little armpit sweaty <laughs> you know what i mean uh, no just like a you, little bit maybe that's just because we've been in the studio for a while yeah but I mean, it is a little funky they, yeah it's funky i mean it's IPAs, got yeah. a whole lot of hop that's like subdued under sweetness it's, like, it's pretty it's, sweet it's, it's almost. the flavor of hop that i always want to talk about i'm not right? getting it's, strawberry or kiwi i'm getting grapefruit kind of yeah. yeah you get that citrus and like you guys are saying it's just it's hop forward but it's not like Hops, it's bitterness, not the, it's like what not you think bitter. of an exactly. IPA. It's just what you think of in a hazy IPA, which is that bitter floralness yeah. just coming through in addition to all of these notes. I think I like it better the second time I tried it. I, I like mean, it. I, I've been sipping on it the whole time, yeah. and it's been it's groovy. It's, good. it's weird, groovy. though, like going from like these generics and like these, you know, branded beers versus like this craft brewery that I've I've only seen one, one other of their beer, and... This one is better than that one, but uh, it's this, this is a good beer. So All right, you guys want to talk about deck here? I mean, I guess. So, yeah, getting back to the cards. Yeah, talk about Exsanguinate. Next card on the list is one that we talked about. We've already heard about this guy. Yeah, two we? days ago, maybe. He's uh, a big boy. <laughs> he's a real great guy. Perforos, God of the Forge. He's three and a red for a legendary enchantment creature. God. He's a 6-5 with indestructible, and as long as your devotion to red is less than 5, Perforos is not a creature. Uh, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, Perforos deals 2 damage to each opponent, and you can pay 2 and a red. Creatures you control get plus 1, plus 0 until end of turn. That's kind of important. Cool. I was going to say it's kind of cool because, you know, he's like uh, buffing your dudes. So this guy is, I personally think, an all-star in this deck because of w the way that I chose to play it. I chose to play low to the ground, playing vampires, getting free vampires. This card specifically reads, whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control. So you do not have to cast these vampires they just have to show up to the party. So, you're saying, so basically, Perforos, instead of reading two damage to each opponent, it says four, four damage to each creature opponent. that resolves. Yeah. Right. So what we're, what we're trying to do with this deck is sort of a fusion of aristocratic black life drain and red aggro straight to your face damage. We're trying to ruin the entire board all at once as fast as we possibly can. I'm a little disappointed you're not just reading what you wrote verbatim. So, Perforos, this is what came to my heart 
as I explained Perforos to Drew. Like we said, the value of extra tokens is good, but not great. I would disagree. I think it's great. This all-star behemoth creates an environment where each of those vampires and their token buddies punish all of our opponents at once. Me likey. <laughs> You're going to hear a lot of weird stuff. That says, right? Buckle up. <laughs> Buckaroonies. All right. So all we've right. got... The next card on my list, Bantu's Monument. This, I would like to read this one because this is one of the cards that is close to my heart. This card, so let me, I think the monuments are underrated. They're just, very just that. So yeah, Bantu's Monument, like all of the monuments, is just three generic mana. It's a legendary artifact, and this one specifically is black creature spells you cast cost one less to cast. So for each of the god cycle from Amonkhet, uh has a monument that allows you to cast creature spells of their color for one less, one generic less. And whenever you cast a creature spell, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So that's Bantu's Monument. It just has this drain effect. And it's each opponent, which is very good in this deck. So why don't you tell me about Bantu's Monument? So this cute little artifact ends up being ramp and life drain. Did I mention that this deck was 65 to 70% black and very creature heavy? So the cost reduction is incredible here. Also, adding the dual effect of draining each opponent for every creature, it just adds the cherry on top, baby. This is exactly what this deck wants to do. It's ramp, it's damage, it's life gain, it's low CMC already. Number four on this list, Alenda the Dusk Rose. Holy shit, I fucking love this card. So... I don't know, four mana for one one. Okay, shut, <laughs> shut. This up. gal here pushes the ridges scale up to nine thousand. <laughs> you, you hold on, hold on. 000. You be quiet. I'm gonna read <laughs> a link. Yeah, let's read the card, bro. <laughs> so she's two white black for a legendary creature vampire knight. As Corey said, she's a one one, but she has lifelink. And important. whenever yeah. another creature dies, put a plus one plus one counter on a land of the dusk rose. So really important in the aristocrat strategy. And we're gonna have a lot of vampires dying. Well, since there's only vampires in this deck, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but when Alinda dies, create X11 white vampire creature tokens with lifelink, where X is Alinda's power. What we're seeing here in the pattern of the cards that I'm including is that, yes, it is a very black-centric deck, but the cards that I'm splashing these colors for are extremely impactful cards. Yeah, they do exactly what the deck wants to do. They add to it. They add that punch. And more importantly, I think, especially with Alinda, is that she... She can die, right? Yeah. Which a lot of the cards, I think that she's one of the only cards that you actually have that when she dies, it matters. Yeah. I but think, when she does, holy shit, is it powerful. I think her death trigger is incredibly powerful, but because of that, she is a really, really bad commander. She yeah. Because you never want your commander to die and put it in the graveyard because you always want to put it back in command zone so you can keep casting it. But the fact that she's just in the 99... Yeah, she's 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 one of the ten times yeah, better. <laughs> she's one of the best legendary creatures that you can have in your nightmare, in my opinion, just because she is shit. <laughs> she's always going to get value. Yeah, yeah. One of the reasons why I, I, re I mean, she's obviously incredibly good, but another reason why I really like her is because in this deck specifically, because it's aristocratic or an aristocrat's theme, uh, we are controlling a lot of the deaths on the board, and so we're sacrificing. We are using a lot of removal we're creating an environment where we decide who dies when and if she has to die if i need the mana if i need the effect it's not a bad thing she just fuels the sacrifice engine over and over so alend is incredibly good yeah i really like her in the deck yeah but one other orzov legend pretty little lady made the deck Honestly, technically on top. She's number five on the list, list, but she was one of the very first cards I wanted to include because I played against her as a commander in one of my brother's decks. It's Timna the Weaver. Corey, you know about Timna. I know way too much about Timna. I've been <laughs> destroyed by this card an awful lot of times. So Timna the Weaver is one white black for a 2-2 legendary creature human cleric with lifelink. That's it. She, she doesn't have yeah, this that's, that's nothing awesome else. ability that says partner. at the beginning she's a partner she has partner that's what it is at the beginning of your post combat main phase you may pay x life where x is the number of opponents that were dealt combat damage this turn if you do draw x cards so i think timna she's top tier for good reasons 
just because the idea that you can draw as many as three extra cards each turn is an incredibly powerful effect. Yeah. yeah. Pay three life, draw three cards just for doing normal combat things. The fact that she's three mana, she can be your commander, and the fact that she doesn't have to attack. But if she does, she has lifelink That's to reimburse yeah. the, the, the life that you're paying for these cards. Um, I do have an honorable mention here. Sixth card that I... I'm a big fan of. See, this card, I'll be honest, I included in a lot of decks when I was playing, like, you know, janky modern. And then there's one specific card. Corey, you know which card it is that made me cut this card. So, game, why don't you read out? What is so have tragic, tragic slip. slip? It's one black for an instant. Target creature gets negative one, negative one until end of turn. But it also has morbid. It says that creature gets negative 13, negative 13 until end of turn instead if a creature died this turn. I think value in the deck, this is a great card. Value for my wallet, this is a great card. <laughs> and I'm going to be, again, controlling so much of the deaths. I, I think the likelihood of me hitting the Morbid Trigger literally is yeah, 80 it's, to 90%. It's, yeah, it's very likely. Anytime you want to play this card, it's it's going to do what you want to do. Yeah. I'm not going to be that asshat who says it's 100% because you guys are going to catch me in a game where I oh, can't yeah. do it. I'm and it's sure going to happen. Oh, it yeah. happens and to I, everybody. I think just even if this is one of the cards that you can always just play in your second main phase after you swing with some one ones. We were like, yeah. I'll chump block some one ones. I don't want you doing yeah. it. It's like, it's like, ah, uh, you I got got. got. You, I got you. <laughs> you now buddy. your commander's dead. So this episode has gone on way too long. Let me go through the normal end of episode spiel. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook at UUD Podcast. And we're also on Instagram and YouTube. Just look us up. Untap, upkeep, drink. You're already here. You might as well stay around for a little bit. Of like, course. share, subscribe. Yeah. Follow us. Let us know what you're doing. Yeah, all all like the, the all of the social media yeah, social yeah. media standard stuff. Definitely try to check out the YouTube videos because we're gonna try and at least flash up all the cards we're talking about if we haven't read them all. And of course, on Instagram. Will somebody else please do this? Drew's feeling a little self-conscious about promoting his own shit, but we did name a segment on our Instagram page, Drew's Brews, because every time we leave brews at Drew's house for the podcast, they end up in his tummy before we <laughs> That get is there. not accurate. Maybe not, not every time. Whenever I buy beers, I buy extra ones, because yeah. sometimes I want to I have a nice beer. Well, and the truth is we all drink beer off the show. Some of the beers that we just drink because we like beer doesn't make the show so we wanted to find a way to kind of repurpose those beers and at least show everybody what we're what we're drinking and how it was so we're kind of doing a, a quick review on instagram so thank you guys so much for taking a little dive into this cute little vampire uh family tree i tried to create here with the markov manor seems like a lot of incest probably a lot of incest i hope right. so uh, I, I hope you guys like it. If you have your own Markov decks, which I'm sure you do, uh, you know, let me know. Like, tell me what you're running. Tell me what's your all-star. And, of course, let us know what beers you're drinking. Mm -hmm. we, we legitimately do want to know. We love when people show us new beers. Uh, so thank you guys for checking out the deck. And, as always, have fun, but not too much. <laughs>